Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hey, good evening, everyone. This is Gabriel Lopez Cafati. I'm president of Blind LGBT Pride International, BPI. We are a very proud special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. Tonight, we are here sharing uh, with the community a new learning topic. Um, It's so amazing. Um, I've always considered myself a bookworm. And if I could study for a living for the rest of my life, I think I would do that. I think we never stop learning. So tonight, we are in for a treat. We have a very, very dear friend who I will introduce in a little bit. Um, as you all know, tonight we'll be talking about inclusive language and the use of pronouns. Uh, we understand uh, the LGBT community understands that there are so many changes happening and so quickly that it's difficult sometimes to catch up. So that's what we're here for. And I'm going to, uh, before I introduce our very, very special and knowledgeable guest, I'll uh, let my um, co-members in uh, BPI's board, Anthony Corona and Leah Gardner, say a couple of words. Good evening. Thank you, everybody who's out there listening and everybody who is on this webinar. We want to give our own sort of disclaimer, and that is with the lexicon of language, it's ever-evolving and it's ever-changing. And if you're coming to If you're coming to spoken or written word from a place of respect and a place of love, then there are no real mistakes. Nobody can be expected to know the ever-changing lexicon of what to say. When we listen to people describe us as blind or low-vision individuals, there are so many different terms that we cringe at. And it's the same with LGBT topics. It's the same with the different identifying personages within our community. So we want to start this conversation by saying that if you don't know, then you can't know and you haven't done wrong. But if you don't take the time to ask for the person's identification, who they are, what they identify as, that's when it becomes wrong. It's definitely wrong if once you know, you refuse to use it. So tonight, we invited a very special and wonderful therapist to lead us through the terminologies, the reasons behind them, and how we can improve our knowledge and understanding of other humans who identify differently than ourselves. Leah? Okay. Leah may or may not be able to mute herself. Tonight, we have Dr. Marilyn Vogel. Yeah, so um, yeah, I think Leah is trying to unmute herself, but without further ado, I think, uh, my God, um, those of you who have seen our communications going out, nothing we could say <laughs> would make justice to the amount of experience and knowledge that our friend, ally, Dr. Marilyn Volker has in the subject. But most importantly, she is a beautiful human being. She comes from a place of love. Um, I love her email address is be safe. <laughs> um, so imagine how, how 
after she's she's been talking about being safe for decades, we're now just with everything going on with COVID, we're just now adopting the concept of being safe. So Dr. Volker, Marilyn, my friend, our friend, the floor is yours. Please educate us. And like Anthony said, we're eager to learn, we're eager to be inclusive, and we're eager to welcome anyone and everyone, whatever your pronoun is, into not only our ACB family, but into our lives, our hearts, and our communities. Okay, before so, Dr. Volker. Before we get started yes. there, I do see a hand raised. Is Leah is there is her Zoom name Romer? No. No. Okay. No, and she's she not should calling be, from a phone? No, she should be either Just, as Leah Gardner or Blind LGBT Pride International. Those are her two users on Zoom. Okay. Uh, I can let the Blind LGBT Pride International account uh un, uh oh, I can allow that account to talk. Yes, if, if you still wanted me to. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Shannon. Okay. I have done that. Leah, welcome. Okay. Maybe not so much. So, Marilyn, thank you so much. Let's go straight into pronouns, identification, the reasons for, and the respect levels that need to be allotted to. Thank you, Marilyn. Take it away. Thank you so much. First of all, I am very honored to be a part of ACB and to really, really um, admire all of you who um, have been really open to looking at and learning. I also want to acknowledge, oh, my friend and colleague and um, Debbie Hazelton, who has taught with me many times. And I am so grateful, grateful for all of you taking a look at language. Language is very, very interesting. Um, we all have come from a background, perhaps, of our different ethnicities where there were different languages. My, I, my family was from Czechoslovakia, so I learned Slovak words and languages, which sounded strange to some people, I'm sure. My husband is Jewish-Russian um, and his family, so he had different words that were Kind of interesting and different. Okay, I know ways, right? <laughs> Especially names for private parts. Holy cow. And the interesting part is when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I'm a minister's kid. And I was not really taught about anything except my parents told me, I'm, I'm really grateful that there's nothing nasty on your body. Now, they were born in the 1900s. And so um, they, they didn't learn about sexuality or LGBT issues, although there certainly were and, and LGBT folks in that era of time and before. However, um, they taught me nothing nasty on your body, and they taught me we are to value. The word was value, not tolerate, not accept, that just value all people. And when they said, oh, I was very interested in learning. My dream was to teach deaf children, and I did. I taught deaf children, and that got me into the world of children and teens and adults with differences and different abilities. In those days, not because I'm almost 75, is that <laughs> in those days, we really had all kinds of interesting words for anybody 
who was born with with differences. We didn't mm-hmm. say varying abilities. We didn't say we said words like and and I cringe even to say it because we have we had the R word, the association yep. of and it was at that time retarded citizens. Now in those days people would go, well, we have a whole association. And then we began to really learn, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a whole different language that people who live with differences want to know about. And so I learned about that. Um, I taught in a lot of special needs schools. I taught at the Mailman School for um, uh, Child Development, the Mailman Center. And we saw a lot of children who were born with different chromosome patterns and hormone patterns. Now, I knew nothing about this, nothing, nothing. And so the pediatric endocrinologist taught me, you know, if somebody has a different chromosome pattern, it can affect how that child and then teen and adult may look or how their brain is developed. Well, I was all in because I wanted to learn as much as I could about differences. I knew white Lutherans. I surely knew that. But I was so interested in people who were different than me. And so it began. And when I began to start to teach, um, I told the deaf children that all words meant something. And so when a little boy named Brian brought me, he was a deaf boy, brought me words off bathroom walls. This was after high school, after my undergraduate, After my master's, I had never taken a sexuality class. So I was like a deer in headlight. And I could never expect people who are listening, I don't know your jobs. I don't know the language for your jobs. And so therefore, I did not even know how to explain these words off bathroom walls. Actually, I didn't even know how to sign them. Well, half of one mother. I now know how to sign it all. But... The interesting part was I, I told him the words were nothing. I lied. And when he signed back to me, liar you, I thought, you're a teacher. And he never brought me another word again. And I thought, you're a teacher. You have to begin to understand different communities and cultures if you're going to teach. And that would include language. And so... Um, moving up ahead, that's why I got my doctorate in sexology. And we started in the 70s, the first LGBT group um, at Miami-Dade in downtown Miami. And it was really because three young teen boys came and said they wanted a safe place to meet. And they identified as gay. Now, when I was growing up, gay meant happy. You You didn't call somebody gay unless they were happy. But I learned this is what I learned, is that it was a password. And that, let's say, when somebody could not be out, when they couldn't say, like my husband grew, his parents grew up in a time where many people could not say they were Jewish, they might have been discriminated against. And there were put down words for Jewish people as well. So the interesting part was that these three young boys said, They wanted a safe place to meet. And so gay was like a password, like, oh, we went to Uncle Charlie's and we had a gay time. Oh, well, if somebody knew Uncle Charlie's and if somebody knew, um, you know, uh, oh, so you must be somebody 
who is attracted to somebody of the same sex. Now, it took me a while to learn that. And then we um, started the first AIDS project. And we worked with many, many people that had a lot of different languages um, for their different cultures. And so I was very, very honored to be accepted in cultures that I loved because they were different than me. They were different. So, and I had to be taught. And I was very compassionate that I didn't know it because I didn't grow up in that. Well, I did, but it was hidden. And also, I wasn't taught about the languages. And then we began to work with people who had gender differences. And so then came a lot of other words um, that I would never grow up. Like a lot of the teenagers identify as genderqueer. And what a lot of people do is they'll take back a word with pride. When I was growing up, you never called anybody queer. That was like, oh, that'd be horrible. What I learned was that a lot of people, when they have pride, they take back a word in in some parts of the, when I think about history, if you said you were a Christian, you'd be thrown to the lions. And so people had passwords in those days. So language is very interesting. What is accepted and what's historical? And what are, are words where people take back with pride? And I was very interested. And, at, and sometimes it was really difficult because I didn't have to say, hi, I'm Marilyn. I'm cisgender. That means I'm not gender variant or transgender. I'm straight or heterosexual. All right. And I didn't have to say that. People just assumed everybody was. And what I learned was if people did not say the word that they identified with, then they could not be themselves and be affirmed. So I learned that some people who are gender variant for all kinds of reasons, sometimes it's biologic, psychologic, sometimes um, they will use the word gender queer. Like, I don't feel exactly male. I don't feel exactly female. And so they use the word gender queer. I don't have to say my pronouns are she, hers, okay, because people just assume that. However, if I had started out with a penis between my legs and people thought that I was a male growing up, I might have to let people know that what my pronouns are. So I've learned to say, what is your name? What would you like me to call you? And what pronouns do you use? Now, this is very difficult because if I had, if this wasn't my, my, I, I'm going to say passion because I can't even think of it as a, as a job at all, is that I learned a lot. And some people just say, I'm me. I'm me. So I have great compassion for anybody who's listening and think, that sounds odd. That is different. Yes than what we grew up with. And there's always put down words for people. And sometimes it's taken back with pride. Let me just give you another example before we get to some questions. And let's take the word lesbian, okay? Now, if we all lived on the island of Lesbos, 612 BC, 
we'd all be called lesbians. I love, <laughs> I love history. I love history. Me too, and and I uh, and it and actually not not only because of the history and the etymological <laughs> uh, yes. history of it. I I've never been to the Greek islands, and I would love to go to Lesbo. <laughs> yes, well, I have been because I belong to an international sexology group, and before, of course, all of this coronavirus, um, we got to travel for the uh, international. Uh, the World Association of Sexology, and so I was very interested. Now, if we were if we were raised in that island at a certain time in history, everybody would be called a lesbian, like America, American, Lesbos, lesbian. And it was so interesting to me, and that would be very, very normal. So I learned to ask people what they would like to be called, and Let's talk about language. I grew up at a time when women's lib was really big, okay? And so a lot of women didn't want to be called miss or missus. They wanted to be called Ms. all right? Now, this was very hard for a lot of people until people thought, okay, if that's what you wanted to be called, all right, then let me see what that would mean to you. It might be different to me, but I'd like to know what it means to you. So the real question that I had to ask, one of my mentors asked me, do you really want to know who somebody is? Or do you want them to say things to please you? And I learned that, oh my goodness, there was a lot of language that really, really um people could use within a community. And if they were outside of that community, not so much. But if, and then there were some that they took back with pride, like, because we're talking about LGBT issues, the word dyke. Well, dyke to me was something that, you know, held back a bunch of water. Okay. But the interesting part (laughs) is it was a put down word, but there were a lot of lesbians who took that on with pride. And some who said, I don't want to be called Dyke. So, okay, what did that mean to you? And that's the important part of really, really seeing and knowing somebody is to find out about language and pronouns that are important. I agree with what was said. We can't always, always be perfect. And if the intent is, you know, I... I made a mistake, I'm sorry, or I didn't know. If the intent is to be honorable, I find people really don't get angry. They don't. And there's some interesting new words, and there always will be new words. The words that we're talking about today may be old school to my two-year-old grandson. We have 12 grandchildren. (laughs) We call it it the mob, okay? (laughs) Our kids and grandkids. But it might be old school. And he or the rest of the young grandkids may think, really, grandma, that's really old language. However, language always evolves. And so some people, if they don't identify, if they identify as gender neutral or gender noir, they'll sometimes call it that, um, which is all new for me as I was learning this, they will sometimes use 
the pronoun Z, Z-E, which is really different for me. Okay, give it, give this cookie to Z. Okay, all right. And I think, well, why would it be so difficult for me to say that if that was important for that person? I don't have to identify as Z, all right? And some people say, I'm just me. And that's been some interesting, interesting things. Um, so that's that's very um, interesting to see about language and some of the use of pronouns. So when I see people, I see people in private practice. Now it's all Zoom, of course. And um, the I always ask people, what would you like me to call you? And by the way, some people, their birth names, they're not even they're not even transgender or gender fluid or gender variant is they just say, I prefer to be called this name. OK, a lot of kids were called nicknames and they prefer that. So I like to ask, what would you like me to call you and what pronouns do you use? I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. So that's just a little bit of the background about in my work. Now, I've certainly worked with children who have a combination of chromosomes and hormones. Like, let me give you an example. I call it shooting craps in the uterus. Now, pediatric geneticists would have a medical name for it. But I call it shooting craps in the uterus because we know a brand new baby, if we did a brain scan, we could tell if they're going to be right-handed or left-handed. And if those listeners, if you're right-handed, that meant the left part of your brain became more dominant if we did a brain scan. And I learned all of this in the 1970s when I was at the Mayo Center uh, for the University of Miami. And we learned if you're left-handed like me, that means the right part of the brain became more dominant. And if growing in a mama's uterus, uh, the baby got an extra chromosome 21, well, that baby would be Down syndrome. Oh, and there were a lot of words for children who had differences. And so, therefore, we really wanted to see, do people want to use the word dis- disabled? I, and some people say, I like the word disability. Or some people say, I like the word differently abled. Or I like the word temporarily able-bodied. Okay. Okay. And so I'm very interested in the language, especially when people feel different or when they get marginalized or they're not listened to. So it was very, very interesting to see. We also saw, by the way, if babies had more masculine brain or more feminine brain, no matter what was between the legs. Now, I didn't know any of this, and this was from the pediatric endocrinologist there. And just as an example, if you have a more male brain, no matter what's between the legs, you have a larger hypothalamus and a thinner corpus callosum. The hypothalamus is kind of like your your, uh, captain, and also it's your sex center. Hmm. And the corpus callosum is what puts the two halves together. There's a part of the brain that puts the two halves together. Now, in a more masculine brain, it is thinner. That does not mean dumb, okay? It means you can focus on one thing 
and then go from one to the other to the other. In a more female brain, more feminine, I call it more feminine brain, that no matter what's between the legs, you've got a smaller hypothalamus. That doesn't mean you don't feel sexual, but you have a thicker corpus callosum, which puts the two halves together, which means there's going to be more interruptions. That's called multitasking. Well, I have to tell you the joke. And then if people want to make comments. So when I'm telling my father, the minister, um, all of these things, because he never took a sexuality class, is that um, we, we just decided, well, if you believed in God, that God must have been male because he made men so efficient for sex, for sure. Larger hypothalamus, more testosterone, thinner corpus callosum. So our joke was that we'd rather have a male brain in sex and a female brain outside for multitasking. So the interesting part about this is I got to learn so many things. And just one more thing is when I was growing up in my family, because I grew up as a minister's kid, was that if you had a vagina, um, you married a minister, which I did. And if you had a penis, you became a minister, which my brother did. So the interesting part was when we went to St. Louis at the seminary, reading in the original language with people who were exegetes, learning in the original language, which is never English, and what was happening at the time, exegetical study, which includes language. I was like, wow, this is interesting. And guess who was also in St. Louis? Masters and Johnson's. And they were sex researchers at that time. And so we got, they came to the seminary and we got to learn about the research. Of course, we were like deer in the headlights because we were like 19 and 20 years old. Holy cow, who gets married so young? But okay. And we were deer in the headlights, but we learned a lot. And then came the question, Well, what about language of people who were born different or who feel different, whether it's biologic or psychologic? Wow. So, or what about people that lived in one culture and then came to another? What about people who couldn't tell their truth? So it looked like they were lying, like they said they were straight, but they were really gay or bisexual. Actually, get ready, get ready, watch this language. They could be bi-straight, bi-bi, bi-gay, and that's all in the research. I had to learn this. This was like a totally different language to me, but in interviewing thousands of people for almost 50 years, I've had a really blessed career, is that I'm so impressed when people are willing to trust you and tell their truth or what they're sorting out, what they're sorting out. So interestingly, that's a little bit about my my history of how this former minister's kid, former minister's wife, and single mom for a while, and now with my husband, who of 40 some years with four kids and their partners and 12 grandkids, some of them have partners and great grandparents, I learned a lot. Okay, that's me. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Marilyn. I have had a, so much fun, even though after our common friend Debbie Hazelton, and now 
obviously you and I are very good friends and you're a friend of BPI and ACB. Yes. Um, um, it's, it's one, it's, even though we've had several conversations, listening to you present all this, it's, I've had so much fun. I've had to, I had to tell, I have to share this with everyone. Um, with the Lesbo, um, I'm, I'm a big follower of many lesbian comedians. And there's this uh, girl who actually, her mom is from Les from Lesbo. And, uh, and, and she teases her mom. She does it publicly. She tells, mom, what do you call people from your island? And she says, we are Greek. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> because yes. she's a lesbian. And then yes. with your conversation about dyke and, and some words that some people may think, I, I, I will say it publicly. When I first uh, watched some of the British and uh, Australian films uh, on gay or LGBT live and documentaries, I'm sorry, but I just fell in love with the word poo. And, Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. and I loved and I loved and I and I said, I'm a proud poo. <laughs> yes. And, and do you know there are a lot of people who take words that are put down and say, I am a proud because that means I will take it back and I'm very proud of who I am. Of course, you have to have very good self-esteem to be able to do that. And you have to Absolutely. have role models and you, you have to really have you know, uh, other people who've gone through this. Um, and I'm going to tell you about a documentary I just saw. And they were talking about language is that if you haven't seen the documentary, it's called Disclosure. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is um, focusing on, um, and now we have another word. Do we say African-American? Do we say black? Do we, mm -hmm. what do we say people of color, black or brown? But it is about um, people of color who happen to be transgender. And yes. it's, a, it's an extraordinary a documentary. I invite your listeners. I learned a lot, but I want to give an example. When we moved into this house 40 some years ago, probably 45 years ago now, my neighbor, who at that time was in her 80s, called her cleaning lady, who happened to be a woman who I'm assuming, well, she was of color. She could have come from an island. She could have, who knows, but she called her the N word. And I can't even say it. It's like so, so repulsive to me. But I said, Rachel, you, you don't, we don't call people the N word. And she said, but I grew up and that was okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was learning that I had, and she said, well, what should I call her? Oh, and she was open to say, well, we either say black or we say African-American at that time. Those were the mm -hmm. two. And she said, it sounds so different and odd, but I could try. And I was like, great, good for you. Maybe you want to talk to the woman who cleans your house and see <laughs> she prefers. <laughs> Here we are, of course, two white women making a decision, all right, for somebody else. So I, I really was delighted that she would even consider and i had to be compassionate to her because she did grow up with that and she was yet and very honest saying 
that sounds odd. And I will, I will tell you the oddest, the one that I had the most difficulty with, and all of us do, is that I remember me meeting a person who was gender neutral, just didn't identify as male or female. And when I asked the name, gave me the name, and I said, what pronouns do you prefer? And that person said it. Now, for me, yeah. for me, and I, I, when I think about your, your guests who are listening, that all of this might sound very odd strange. or mm-hmm. weird or strange. That was the hardest thing for me because, and it, to me, was a non-human, like an object, like Mm -hmm. this, this cup. Or cousin it. Yes, yes. So I had to really, really, and I wanted to ask them a lot about, you know, why was that important for them? And I had to really practice and here was what one of my one of my mentors, and I'm grateful most of them are dancing with angels now, but one of my mentors said, you honor, honor what you're comfortable with. When you are meeting a lot of people, Marilyn, you honor and you put it aside to step into their space, to step mm-hmm. into their space and just listen as to what is important language for them? Beautiful. Marilyn. Yes. Can, can I, I want to ask you a few questions, but can sure. I tell you a story first? Sure. I have an uncle, cerebral palsy. And when I was growing up, he lived for five days a week with a foster family or a, a caretaker family. He went to school and so on and so forth. And he came home on the weekends. And like you said earlier, in the broadcast, in, in this conversation, he, he was called a retard. Um, I didn't know that that was a bad word. That's, that's what he was called. And there's two prongs to this story. I, I remember when I went to school and, and had a conversation at some point, it must have been second grade. I, I, it had to have been. And we were talking about our family and who's our, my favorite uncle is Uncle Jojo, the retard. And there was a gas. It was horror from, from the teacher. The kids were laughing. And that's you. We, we don't say that. Why not? That's a bad word. No, it's not. That's uncle Jojo. He's a retard. Right? No, no, that's not okay. Right. And I, I, I truly didn't understand it. Fast forward a couple of years later and he was, he was high functioning. He's a, he's wonderful. He, he actually works. He's a beautiful fiance at this point. Um, He's in his 60s, and he finally found love, by the way, just so you all know that he's having a wonderful life. But, but I remember when the system kind of broke down, and, and it was I from Staten Island, New York, um, Willowbrook, and, and all of that, the system broke down, and he had to come home full time. And um, it was a Sunday. Everybody cooked with my grandmother, and nobody let him do anything. And he, he had a little bit of anger at times, and, and it was hard to, to pull him out of that anger moment. But he was screaming and, and bashing his, his hands against the wall. I can do this. I can do something. I'm not stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm not a retard. Yes. And I, 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 I have forever lived with that. With that. And that's when I understood. I, when they taught, told me in class, I, I didn't, 
I, I heard them. I, I, I knew, okay, well, if they reacted this way, this is bad, but I still had no idea why. But when I heard him bashing him, himself against the wall and saying he's not a retard, then I understood. I understood in my bones. I understood in my heart. I understood in my head. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. And, and, and the first being, why in the lexicon of language, why do people feel the need to have those labels? Retard, faggot, the N-word, dyke. Usually, and thank you, thank you, that you are asking me an opinion question. There are three types of questions. One is a fact question. One is a opinion. And one is a resource, you know, like where can we find materials like that? But I think it's because if it's not talked about and if it's margin, if a group is marginalized, that um, people don't know always what to call somebody who is different. And so, you know, an example, the word fag really means because my father made me read the dictionary, a page of the dictionary and a page of the Bible every day. And so I didn't like it at 13, but I really value it now. And the interesting part of it is that the word fag means little stick or little cigarette. And so a lot of times if I hear somebody calling somebody the word fag, I go, well, why would you call somebody a little stick or little cigarette? And usually it comes from growing up and hearing words of people who either are different or people afraid of. No baby comes out of a uterus, okay, or just mm-hmm. knowing those words. And so therefore, in a culture, a lot of people who don't know the word or haven't talked to people, And if this wasn't, if my doctorate was not in sexology, I surely would not have the, the, I'm just going to say the gift of learning from so many people. And I, I really value, I think it's because of fear and also education. And I can't fault people. My parents didn't sit in a sexuality class. I didn't get any of this growing up in in middle school or high school or even my college days. So now there are a lot more students in the, who have the GSA groups, the Gay Straight Alliance groups, and they mm-hmm. will talk about it. Now, still bisexuality, I have to say, is not really recognized so much. No. Why? Even though it is certainly there, but even in the last... Um, Supreme Court um, uh, decision, which I'm very happy with that said that trans people cannot be fired because of their gender. Um, And they said LGT. Okay. They left the B out. They left the B out. Yep. Now, what does that mean? What it would mean is somebody who identifies as bisexual um, would have to lie. Now, it's, it's so interesting to me because when I was growing up, lying was considered a sin in my family, my family. My family. And you and I was told you don't lie. The problem is if you don't feel safe to tell the truth or you don't even 
have a word <laughs> that expresses who you are, except I'm not that, I'm not that, that I think that's what begins that it's called scripting, the scripting mm-hmm. of non-inclusive language. And I have great empathy. I'm so glad a lot more schools have a GSA and a lot more people are speaking out. And there's a lot more media that um, presents it. And there's going to be new words. Believe me, there will be new words. So uh, because every every generation has its words as well. But that's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We have a couple of raised hands. Um, we are will, you ready yes. to take some questions or should we? I not, not quite yet. We will. One of those get... raised hands is Leah. <laughs> oh, well, we can let Leah in, but we will definitely get to the questions very, very soon. Okay. So, Marilyn, there are a lot of people out there who don't understand the concept that somebody can have a physical body of one sector and a brain of another sector that someone may be identifying more masculine one day, more feminine another day, and that some people truly don't have a connection to either one. Could you give us a little bit of of knowledge and instruction as to how, how that can be explained to someone who has never encountered that in someone that they know or love and and words and language that will help us understand how that happens and why the language around it that we use is so important. Well, first of all, thank you so much. If we didn't, let me just say this. If someone didn't understand the range of visual impairment and blindness, the range, they may just mm-hmm. assume everybody who has a visual impairment has experienced the same thing. They may just assume it and use just one word. And I've certainly met people that have a range of experiences around visual, all right, differences. So I like to use the word differences. And when I worked with parents, when children were different, I I would say, your child has been born with a difference. I didn't like to use the word syndrome or condition because, oh my gosh, parents, you know, they they got scared. And I, I would say... I want to tell you about the difference. So somebody who may, and by the way, there are some people who are, let's say, have a penis and they identify as male. However, they might be what we call a more softer male, more feminine, have more qualities that we would say would be more feminine. And, but Mm -hmm. they don't identify. They don't say, well, I'm gender neutral or gender queer. They could be. There are women who are very strong, assertive. We could say they're they're more masculine in prison. I teach in the military, so I see a range of people. And the interesting part is they may not say, oh, I'm gender neutral or but they may say I embrace who I am. So we're talking now about four things, just so listeners know. Number one is there's biology. Did this child, when growing in a mama's uterus, did the mama take any hormones that could have affected the brain development? Oh, okay. Did the baby develop a more masculine brain or feminine brain? If we only look between the legs, 
oh, we're missing a lot <laughs> because it's not it's not our genitals that determine who we are. It's actually number two, besides biology, number two is gender identity. That's between the ears. And if a two-year-old who with the penis, let's say, says, I'm a boy, we never say, oh, you're too young. We go, yep, yep, there you are. But if the person <laughs> with the penis said, I feel like a girl, I want to be a girl. Oh, people get, oh my gosh, no, 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 you can't, you don't know. Well, I've worked with a lot of children who from the very beginning felt they were more, I'm going to say it as children tell me, more like a girl, more like a boy. They don't use at four or five the, the word transgender or gender neutral, okay? But it no. could be biologic or it could be psychologic. And by the way, we've seen children born twins. One identifies, let's say, with the same genitals. One identifies with, if they have a vagina, they feel like a girl. And the other twin has a vagina, they feel more like a boy. So mm -hmm. why? There are some things we don't know. And it's that, that I'm kind of glad we don't always know, okay, everything, because it invites us. My father, the minister, and I decided that maybe we're supposed to learn lessons from people who are different, maybe. By the way, so we got biology, which could be one reason, chromosomes, hormones, okay. Then we have gender identity between the ears. Then we have gender role as to how we present, what we like to wear, what toys we like to play, what names, mm -hmm. okay, gender role. And then we have orientation, and that's who we're attracted to. You want me to mess it up before we get to the questions? Watch this. Let's <laughs> say, let me just show you how, how complex this is. Let's say you meet me and my name is Marilyn, but really inside, I have always felt like Marvin or some days like Marvin and some days like Marilyn. You might assume I'm gay because I'm different, but that would not always be true. I have to take all four, biology, gender identity between the ears, gender role, external. Now you have to know who Marvin is attracted to. Mm. Now, what if Marvin inside a Marilyn body is attracted to females? It would mean Marvin's a heterosexual male, but I could be erroneously labeled lesbian. Lesbian. See how mm -hmm. complex it is? And I It's complex, but absolutely fascinating. It is. It is. And like any... I'm sure your listeners, they know their jobs and they would have to yes. name their jobs to me because I don't know that. I think at the end of the day, Marilyn, what, what before, before we go to Leah and the rest of our, Good. of our callers, uh, because we're going to definitely have you back, Marilyn. I know that you have a very busy personal schedule for the next couple of weeks, but we're definitely going to have you back. Um, I think the, at the end of the day, uh, labels, you know, if, if we're so stuck on labels, then that's where we, we have a difficult time opening up to knowing the person who they are themselves without attaching any labels to them. So, um, I'm not I don't know against, if, by the way, I'm not against labels because a lot of people have labels to define who they are. Yes. Absolutely. So I agree. I, I, I'm not against it. It's just, can we find out and be more inclusive in that? Exactly. Oh, Inquire but I'm open to what questions. Is, yeah, what is your label? <laughs> so, yeah, I know Leah 
Leah. Are you, are you unmuted, Leah? And then uh, well, Shannon. Before, before we get to Leah, let's just, we're very familiar with the L and the G. And I think at this point, we're pretty darn familiar with the T. But there is the Q, and then there are the other identity identifications of binary, non-binary, excuse me, right. the queer, mm-hmm. the gender fluid. Can you give us a gender, clinical... Gender queer is gender queer. That the child who also would have, thank you for focusing on, the child who have it would have a combination of chromosomes and hormones is really called intersexual. And yes. when I was at the Mailman Center... The medical term was intersexual if they had a combination. So it's really hard because on a birth certificate or on your, you know, your identification, it only says male or female. And I'm always saying, but what about intersexuals? And how about the bathrooms when it says male or female bathroom? I'm always, I'm a, I'm sort of a a rebel um, or my husband says, you're the PIA pain in the ass that says, where's the intersexual bathroom? Okay. They would have to see how they decide it could be on that day, but it could be that they always feel not one or not the other gender neutral, gender noir, gender queer in the middle. Mm-hmm. So can you give us a little bit of the definition behind the terminology of queer gender clothes or androgynous clothes, or it depends on the day. They could, number four, their orientation, they could be attracted to same sex, opposite, both, or none. And that new word Mm -hmm. is called ace. Ace. Not feeling sexual toward, they could be romantic, but not sexual, or they could feel sexual, but not romantic. So we got asexual and aromantic. Oh boy, we have a lot of terms here. That people have said. And remember, these are all new terms for people who have never, ever even been hearing these terms. So I'm impressed your listeners are even open, open to our community is very interested in learning. Great. Thank you. So, Shannon, did uh, we have I know we have three questions. We have three raised hands. Awesome. Um, And actually, we're going to. We're going to start in the order that I got that they came up because um, that seems like the fairest thing to do. So, Mikey, I'm going to let you go first. You should have something on your screen uh, asking you to unmute. Hi, Mikey. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wealth of information. Um, Thank you for taking me back to my underage drinking days at Uncle Charlie's. Yeah. I was a. I graduated and I was an ozone boy, not an Uncle Charlie's boy. Right, right. Um, so th- there's a few things that I, I really want to thank you for pointing out. And I'm not sure your intention was to point them out in the same way that I interpreted them. Um, first of all, I, I like, like the fact that you delineate the fact um, between sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, yeah. I. I believe that there is a stark line and that never the twine should really be mixed unless it is one of those exceptions that you were talking about by which a person ticks off so many boxes that they really just classify to all of the letters. Um, I, I believe it's, it's, there's some significantly different issues. Um, I believe that this conversation springboarded um, 
from the opportunity that someone could know better and could do better. Um, however, when, when a lot of this stuff has been presented, the onus is on everyone else. Um, as you said yourself, many of these terms are new. Um, I, I don't think there's a, you know, there's always going to be an outlier and some strong opposition to anything new, right? But when we're talking about inclusion and we're talking about a personal preference and we're talking about respect, I think it has to be mutual. So, you know, I, I think it speaks volumes to the fact that there are a significant number of people here prepared to listen. However, the vast majority of us will shut our listening ears off when we're attacked for a simple mistake or when we don't know better. Thank um, you. I really appreciate that because when I talk with, lot, let's say, parents and friends, if somebody has said, um, well, my child was born with a penis and this was the, the male name, and all of a sudden, to them, all of a sudden, unless they listened to the history of the child growing up or paid attention mm -hmm. to the child growing up, is mm -hmm. that it's hard for somebody who has known uh, their child or family member for 10 years, and all of a sudden, the child wants them to use a different name and a different pronoun. I understand why the person would want that. It just means that we have to also look at, okay, how does one begin to shift? And there, uh, there are people who really uh, don't want to do that. And so the intent is really to not be inclusive. And by the way, there's always a range. There's always a range in, in all the parts of biology, gender identity, gender role, and orientation. Always a range. So the interesting part of this is, is that some people are really make a valid mistake and they're not intending it. And I find mm -hmm. if people know the intent of the person who made the mistake, they're really fine. They might be frustrated. Yep. Yep. They may be, um, oh, oh, how long is this going to take? And so we have to also be supportive to each person. But the intent is what makes the difference. Thank you, Mikey, for bringing that up. Thank you, Mikey. Shannon, who do we oh, have? Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I, it wasn't needed. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Mikey. And our next, we, uh, one second. There we go. All right, Leah, you uh, should have something on your screen uh, allowing you to unmute. <laughs> I just wanted to be really quick. Uh, I had a lot of difficulty signing in this evening, so I got here a little bit late. Hi, Leah. But, 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 but this is absolutely not uh, a venue for, for me to talk in any length. I just wanted to thank you, uh, Dr. Volker, for coming this evening and really um, discussing these issues. I think it's high time that ACB had a forum on these issues, and I'm glad that BPI um, spurred this, and I particularly enjoyed your discussion of the um, of the the brain setup. Um, I thought that was particularly informative. So, thank you so much for speaking with us this evening. Thank you, Leah. Thank and you. I just I just want to also say, if somebody has been marginalized for years, to really add on 
whatever the components of who we all are, to somebody adds on a gender difference in any way or an orientation difference in any way, it can be really more, more marginalized even more. So um, it, for the person who happens to be, let's say in this case, blind, bi, straight, bi, gay, and have a range of gender, it could be gender neutral, gender queer, whatever, that's, and then they are discounted and marginalized even more, it can be really, really frustrating. And my concern would be for the self-esteem of anybody who has been marginalized and not included, which is why I'm so proud of ACB for absolutely beginning to talk. And I hope you will invite people who are the real experts, the real experts who live and have lived these varying experiences. Yes. You read my line our Saturday. Excuse me. Saturday event is going to be, we're bringing the voices behind these, these identifications to tell their stories, to lift their voice so that people can understand where they're coming from and how they identify. Can I can I get in here for just a quick second? Hi, it's Debbie. Absolutely. Hi. Hey. I just want to I'm always wanting to widen things out to get things even more inclusive. And Marilyn, I wonder if you would talk just for a, a couple minutes at least about like non-sexist language, all-inclusive language from a, for maybe to include women who identify as feminists or men who say, you know what, I love women, but sometimes I want to be held or sometimes I don't want to be with those male stereotypes. Can we just talk for a little bit about stereotypical or beyond stereotypical thoughts and ideas that are would allow for this to be even more inclusive because there are people sitting here i'm sure who are thinking wait a minute i don't know if i identify with lgbtq how does this apply to me thank you thank you that's really and it is about gender a range of gender for the let's say the dad or the man who has what we would say is a more, and we use words like a gentler side, a more, you know, sometimes when boys grow up and they are very gentle and they're very compassionate, boy, they get, they get like, don't, that's not masculine. That's not, okay. And then we expect them, especially if they have a baby, we expect them to all of a sudden go back to being nurturing. There are a lot of very nurturing males and females and a lot of not so nurturing males and females. So when we talk about the inclusiveness um, of also, there are men who identify as feminists. Thank you, Debbie, for saying this. There are men who identify as feminists and there are women who identify as I am strong and I am, I identify as more and they will use words that say assertive, aggressive, not abusive, not abusive. And so what is the language for that? What is the language? And that is exactly 
because there are a lot of people who do not identify with LGBT, and yet we all have a range of gender. Thank you. We Thank all you. have, an, and I invite people to take a look. When do you feel in your most, I call it, in your most soft, in your most comforting self? I don't care what you have between your legs or what your gender is. When do you feel that? When do you feel your most strong, powerful? And then we put this language of masculine and feminine, which has nothing to do with that. It has to do with our souls, our spirit, our who we are. And so thank you, Deb, for bringing that up. Well, and the non-sexist language about, like, getting away from the proverbial he. Yes. And I'll be quiet now. But, yeah. No, 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 no. Just keep talking, <laughs> add, keep talking, keep talking. To add to what Debbie said, though, what about the people that have grown up all their lives? And there are, in their presentation, in their worldview, there are only two lanes. You're either masculine or you're feminine. They don't have the concept because they've never lived through knowing someone who doesn't identify that way. What about the language that they use and how do we find a balance of respect between, I don't know how to do this, but I'm not trying to be wrong about it. How do we approach that? I like to find out how people are feeling and when they feel in their strong self and when they feel in their soft self, and I don't use the word, which is why some people don't use the word even he or she. It is why it's me. This is me. Or they'll use the term they, they, and them because they can be in their strong self and they can be in their soft self. And yet there doesn't have to always be a he, um, approached with that, but a lot of language really addresses it as either masculine, as very masculine or very feminine. And finding that place in the middle, that's going to be an invite. What kind of language would validate each human being without putting it in that box or in that sexist, you know, vocabulary Thank you. But how but how do we how do we teach ourselves? Because I still need to learn this as well. And I'm LGBT. I'm I'm part of the organization. How do we teach ourselves and each other that when you're putting out messages for a large group or for a, a podcast or for um a, an article that when you're when you're using language that you take away the he or she, how do we teach that? How do we make that become more inclusive when all you've learned up to this point is the he or the she? And I'm playing devil's advocate to a certain extent because I do personally understand more of this, but many of our listeners, this is a foreign concept. This is as foreign as trying to speak French or Greek or Arabic. If the only options are he and she, which is why when I go to medical facilities and they have, sometimes they'll say sex, but usually they say gender, but sometimes they say sex. And so I'll say, yes, yes, sometimes I do have sex. I, I'm, I'm really like, <laughs> okay. okay. But yes. if they put gender, then they only put M and F. And when we do that, 
we really take away from people really being validated for a range of who they are. And so some people now are in some states when they say gender, they don't, first of all, they don't even have that. I don't have that on my intake forms in my counseling at all. But when I go to a doctor, I'll put, and they have male, female, I'll put I, intersexual, I'll put T, I'll put X. Now, some states will put an X that they can identify and they can put an X. And sometimes they even have an X in some states for gender. And, and that mm-hmm. means that only means I don't identify with one or the other. So I don't want to be stereotyped as one or the other. And that's very new. And for a lot of people, that can be um, a learning curve. It can be a learning curve. We've all learned a lot of things. I can't imagine that people sitting, listening, have not learned something different than their parents had because of just an awareness, an awareness of things. But this is newer because it's gender. And we have to look at, um, and Debbie brought up, what has been the language? Why would he be assumed more? Because he often is valued. Often when we say, oh, hey, you're pregnant. Oh, and I'm hoping for a boy. Oh, well, because males were valued more. If you look at history, they were valued more because hundreds of years ago, all right, women were property. And in some cultures, by the way, they still are. So males were expected to have a job and take care of actually many wives in some countries hence at some yes. point in time so we would all be here's the word then we would be in a poly relationship with many partners poly when <laughs> i was growing up meant a type of fabric okay so <laughs> yes. people are learning these new words um pan is a new word here's another new word that people can and this is very you know when i ask people um who they're attracted to, and they may not identify as transgender at all, but they say, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I really am more for the hearts, not the parts. And that's what I Mm -hmm. call pansexual. Pan to me was what you made your eggs in in breakfast when I was growing up, okay? (laughs) But, and so I had to really learn that, oh, okay, So pansexual, I like to call it hearts, not parts. And therefore, you learn a lot about people if they have an inclusive language. And if they're given the opportunity even to say how they feel without using a stereotypic word. And it's it's very challenging. And I'm very, oh. Yeah, you stars. Marilyn, Marilyn, can we can we also just acknowledge that uh, for many uh, over the years, when women would say, "Well, why are you using he for everyone?" and men would say, "Well, when we say he, we mean he and she," except right. that 
that then they would say, oh, but you still, women still can't vote, and other things where women were still denied. So that's part of the sort of importance of that. That's where the history of Mm -hmm. that, where women were either thought of as property, and they didn't have the same rights, and um, so the term is yet used a lot, which is why a lot of younger people like to use the word they or them. Mm-hmm. And again, it, whether they use that word, I always want to know more about each person and what does it mean to them. I would not relate very well to the word he because I don't identify it as I don't identify with with that word. Um, so it's it's very interesting to see. And then when we get to language, oh my gosh, now we get into a whole nother topic of of what about if people are in relationships? And if you just um, when again when I go to the doctors, I'm always xing things out. And so <laughs> that part is it says it says um, marital relationship, single, mm. single, married, divorced. And I go, well, where's coupled? Where is coupled? And so I write coupled in because a lot of people, whether it's a pronoun, and thank you, Deb, for bringing that up, or whether it is a non-inclusiveness about not even being recognized that I might be coupled, not married. I may not ever want to be married. I might want the right to choose it, and I still may not choose it. And so in our intake forms, we really need to be, and I always say, tell me about your relationships in the world. And so I want that to be more rather than trying to get <laughs> one word, one word that fits that fits an intake form. And I really think it's also because when people um, do research, they're trying to fit people in boxes. But you got to have a lot more boxes if you're going to see the real inclusive research. So we should definitely get to a few more questions. But before we actually go to the next raise hand, when we're addressing a group, whether it be in writing or in speaking, and we don't know who our audience is, what type of language should we be using? when addressing a group and not knowing who our audience is and not being able to ask individually, what do you identify as? Who are you? How do we identify? How do we address those groups? I just like to validate that we have so many wonderful people and individuals in this audience. And in order for us to really know who you are, we would have to take time to listen to listen and see how you define yourself, what is important language to you. I think he's asking about like if you're doing a written document, because that's what started all this. There was a written document that somebody really meant well, but there was a lot of of traditional language. So what are some more non-traditional ways of addressing like in a written, written kind of a thing? Thank you, Debbie. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. I can, I can appreciate that because a lot of people will say if they look at a name, often they make an assumption about the pronoun. All right. In a written document. And I don't know, I'd have to have seen it, but 
um, in a written document, unless they're the name of a person there, then I'd want to know what pronoun they prefer. Notice I said they. And um, if it's a written document, I like to put that um, if, if you're taking, see, I'd have to see it in order to say, is it going to be inclusive of everybody by saying um, our community, our communities, all right, of many identities. So I don't have to say he or she. Now, if I'm talking about one person, I would want to know in the document how they would like their name and their pronoun. And so I'd, wa I'd want to check with them. And notice I'm using the word them. I didn't even say he or she because they might not identify with either one. I don't All know right. if that answers your question. Not it does. Not completely, because I think that there, there are times when you're addressing, let's, let's go to an anecdote. There are times when you might be addressing a large group introducing a new product or a new stream of consciousness. And, you know, there's not a way to know the audience that you're reaching. So is it okay? Do you say he, she, slash, they, them? Do you say something like whoever you choose to identify? What is the wording to not offend anyone and to include everyone when you don't know the audience fully that you're going to reach? I just, I just validate and say we have many, many individuals here with a very diverse, very diverse identification. And so, therefore, however you identify, whatever pronouns you use, whatever language, then if you're, if you're selling a product, you talk about the product or the, whatever you're selling. Um, I don't, I've never, had, I've never had to say, and all the men in the group, you're going to like this better because, well, there could be women or intersexuals in the group that really like that. So I like to be validating in a way that we have many, many uh, variety and range. I like to use the word a wide range of, of very unique individuals that identify. And I want to know, I would like to know how you identify. But if I'm trying to sell a product, I really have never had an opportunity um, to say, only the males or only the females. Yeah. I think from, from what Marilyn has been telling us, I think I, I would take personally, and this is Gabe, I would personally take they and them as the most inclusive mm -hmm. pronouns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do. And, and All right. we, say, we say that a lot here. We say this in the classroom here, pass this out to them. Yeah. We do not say pass this out to him and her. We say, yes. pass this out to them. And then so it's almost going back down. It's almost going back to the basics. It's yes. just everyone. Yes. And let me even say to you something so interesting, because someone once said to me, well, what if you're what if you're like talking about bras, women underwear? And I said, well, there are some people with penises who are cross dressers or who like to wear women's underwear. So I would never just say 
to the women in the group. So that's the interesting part. I've been humbled many times, I can tell you, and I call it being taken to the mat. Being taken yeah. to the mat means I'm humbled. And I, I, oh, okay, so what language would validate who you are? And what so let's language? open it up to a few more questions, because I know sure. that there are a bunch of raised hands. We Shannon? do have a bunch of raised hands. So I am going to start with Lynn. You should have something on your screen that, are, that will allow you to talk. Hi, Lynn. Hello. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, this is uh, Lynn Corral, and I really learned about this because my first cousin had a transgender daughter, and um, and then she told me that her um, daughter, her daughter uh, died a couple of years ago, but her daughter's partner uh, was non-binary or uh, gender non-conforming, I like to say, and. You know, I, I've been seeing the pronouns in my university, Walden University, because they're for positive social change, so people will use pronouns. I haven't seen they and them there yet, but um, they have used she, her, and all that sort of stuff. So I think they understand the pronouns issue, and I think when we're talking about affirming people, and that's what I think this is, it's not just respecting people, it's affirming people. And when we think about affirming people, it's affirming people for who they are. I'm a Jewish person, so I've had quite a lot of uh, anti-Semitism in my life, and I think that when people think of Jewish people, and they assume that everybody is Christian, you know, that's another problem that Thank people you. have, you Thank know? You. And, you know, I, and because I'm, I'm Jewish, because I'm also spiritual, so please don't put me as like I'm a religious person, I'm spiritual more than religious, and people don't get it. And that's because they are not listening to people. They're not really affirming people. They're, they're, they're thinking that they're thinking more about themselves than they are about the other person. May I also thank you, Lynn, so much for saying this. Um, the interesting thing is if you ever want me to come back and, and really um, talk about the cultural wheel. Only one part of the cultural wheel is ethnicity. You brought up another aspect of a cultural wheel, which could be um, ethnicity plus religion or spirituality. Okay, and what does that mean? My daddy always told people, he, you know, the minister, he always told people Jesus was Jewish. Do not assume he was a white Christian boy. <laughs> he didn't speak English, and he was celebrating Jewish culture and and um, uh, you know uh, traditions. So the interesting part is also knowing the history. And I I really can identify because my husband went through this, and it really I'm so sorry because I bet everybody listening has had many types of non-inclusivity, many types. And, uh, and so we have to really speak up and out, not out of meanness, out of education. Not everybody is willing, but I believe we have to speak up and out. Yes. Thank you, Lynn. Okay, we have... Shannon? Yes. Yeah. We have Jessica is up next. I'm, um, you should have something on your screen uh, asking you to unmute. Hi, Jessica. 
Hi, good evening, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Volkner, for all your wisdom and knowledge. And thank all of y'all for setting up this conference uh, or just a, a Zoom call uh, in order to talk about this. Um, now, my perspective is coming from I'm a professor at Long Beach City College in the Comm Studies Department. So I am definitely uh, aware of all of the language that's being mentioned Uh I love the disclosure documentary. So thank you for mentioning that for people to really engage with the material after this call. Uh, my question though comes from, I don't know if you've ever heard of the concept called the gender bread uh, that people yes. use in order to talk about um, gender fluidity and different spectrums. Uh, and I was wondering if you feel that the gender bread is a good way to teach students uh, about gender sexuality um, and have and start this discussion or is there a different model that you use when you're teaching children? We do use the gingerbread. It's a takeoff of gingerbread person <laughs> because we used to say gingerbread man. Remember, remember uh, Debbie Hazelton's comments? Yes. We used to say gingerbread Indeed. man. <laughs> Went and, to gingerbread um, people. Thank you. And so this is the gender bred person or individual, and it really shows we've used it. And so it shows where um, the your biology sex part is between your legs, the private parts. It talks about your gender and biology chromosomes in your brain part. It shows that um, the gender bred uh, person. And then it shows who you're attracted to, and they usually take it from the heart part of who you're attracted to. And so we've often used it with also um, art therapists, where some of the children will say, well, I got boy parts, and sometimes I feel more male, more female, but they don't even identify as gender queer or gender neutral or non-conforming. They may identify as that's who I am, all right? And so, and who are you attracted to? Um, I could be attracted to male, females, none, etc. So, and now get ready. I think it's Jessica, right? Get ready because besides the gender bread, we now have the gender, oh, okay, unicorn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why? Because there's always some new things coming out. So now there's a gender, gender unicorn that presents it in the same way of uh, these different components. So they're always uh, going to be new presentations. And I'm really glad. I like the genderbread. It helps students a lot, especially when we present it for children. Yes. Okay. Sometimes, sometimes, by the way, I have to make it simpler if I'm in grade schools, which is why I liked to keep my doctorate. Um, in education, that's where I started because I like to go in and present to students. And I find children are so much easier to be truthful than adults. Mm -hmm. They get, okay, I could have a boy part between my legs and a boy brain or a girl brain or both. or And I, I could really have a crush on so-and-so or so-and-so. Or I'm not really into crushes, but you know they get it so much easier um, than than a lot of time. And I can tell you, having worked with children of parents who happen to be gender variant, whether they identify as trans or not, um, 
some of the children have said, okay, okay, let me, let me explain it to you. My mama has girl parts and a girl brain. And so she likes girl clothes or boy clothes or whatever she wants to wear. My father has a penis and a girl brain. So what does he wear? Duh, girl clothes. And so the interesting part is, and we found that once a child gets that gender-bred presentation, um, they aren't confused about themselves. They really aren't. And they really, um, if they are given an opportunity to really see and affirm, I like the word affirming that you said, and affirm who they are and see what happens in their life and and to be affirming of many, many parts. Yay. Yay, you. Thank you. Shannon, okay. do we have Paul up next? We do have Paul up next. Okay. I'm going to allow him to talk right now. Hi, Paul. Paul, you should have something on your screen asking you to unmute. Mm, I did do that. Should I move on to the next person? No, he's unmuting himself right now. Okay. Hi, Paul. There we are. Um, first, Marilyn, hello. Hi. We haven't seen each other for a long time. Oh. Um, but we, we, we knew each other way back when. Um, Debbie and I and you did a number of things together. We were um, babies. We were babies, huh? We were. <laughs> we were. So, so I have two two questions. Um, the first one is really to get to the heart of the, the issue that we're, that we're, that started all of this. If, if someone is writing a document for the general public, that is not, not for, I mean, obviously an inclusive general public, is it sufficient to use he, she anymore? Or, or is, or is, does that still constitute disrespect? So that's the first question. My, my second question is, can you be more explicit for us and tell us precisely when you would use the pronouns Z, they, and them? Thank you. I can appreciate your questions. Um, again, I would have to look at the document to see, um, again, if, it's, if they're only, if in attempts to be inclusive, it could be, they, they may want to, be inclusive and using he and she, well, what if people in the community do not identify with either one of those pronouns? So in an attempt to be inclusive, it may not really be inclusive. And so um, usually I like to avoid pronouns because I really don't know who it is. We want to validate all individuals in our community. And so I would have to, I would try or either to use the they or them in order to be inclusive. Um, now, sometimes a person in my office or in students, when I teach at universities, and I will ask them when they introduce themselves, I will say, my name is Marilyn Volker and my pronouns are she, her, okay. And so I asked them to do that. And some people say, um, I prefer they and them. Okay. Okay. So I know that as well. I just, I'm sure that if the intent was, I want to be inclusive by using he or she, they still would not be inclusive of everybody 
because some people may not use those pronouns at all, or they may be unknowingly not including people who are gender variant or gender neutral or non-conforming. That's why if I can use they or them or all of us or all of us, then I'll use those particular words. It's a little tricky sometimes. I'd have to see the document to really, and I don't need to see it, but I know that a lot of people are looking at documents now and uh, having different people look at them. And that's the way that I have learned and, and been also corrected. Paul, did you have a follow-up to that? Oh, I'm so sorry. I accidentally, I accidentally muted him. So raise your hand again, Paul. I'll get you. Now, I answered one of the questions. I hope oh, got to the yeah, other Yeah, there, there were two. And I apologize, Paul. If you raise your hand again, I'll unmute you. I don't know if I got to the other one, Paul. Get in there. Oh, I don't see him now. Um, okay. If, if the question comes up. Yeah. If it comes Let's up. Oh, I think he said about Z, they and them. Oh, yeah, that was I think the that was one. the other yeah. one. Oh, Z, Z-E, Z-E. There are some students. Um, if I'm writing a document, I don't know that I would put, unless it's about language and the use of pronouns. If it's about that, then I want to be inclusive and list all of those. If it's a document where I want to be inclusive, I would probably use language that is going to say, um, and I want, and I'm hoping that we are inclusive of all of our community and of all of the pronouns that they use, rather than trying to pick out one or the other. So I use Z, I use if somebody says to me, that's the pronoun I use, or if it's a document that's listing okay, the use of language and pronouns, then I will put a list of the variety of pronouns if it's focused on that. Now, if it's a document where you want to like do a piece of research of your community and you want to see the pronouns preferred, well, then I would list them all and I'd even have other because maybe somebody is using pronouns that I haven't heard. And it might even be a language, a different non-English language. So I what about what about scholarly documents though that where you don't know your audience? Right. Right. Then I have to be very inclusive about the wide range of people who would be who would we want to be inclusive in this scholarly document and would use a variety of identification factors. I would, I would want to be inclusive with that. And I could give some examples. The problem with examples that I found, if I don't list a whole range of them and put also other, then I am opening myself up to wait a minute, but you didn't get to mine. And that's true. And that would be true. So we want to validate all in this in this space where we are presenting like that. There are those of us who are not going to be on this call. There are those of us in in the world who aren't exposed to this. So how do we address the fact that some people get 
offended even by people that don't know to use that inclusive language? And where is the middle ground for people that have been reared in a certain way and lived in a certain way? And now all of a sudden we're expected to be this all-inclusive standpoint. Where is the middle ground so that we're not attacking or offending someone who truly doesn't know that inclusive language and has has impressed upon in a missive or or um, a writing or even a, a, a speech language and wasn't inclusive. Where's the middle ground for that? Well, I think that's called um, compassion. And there are lots of things that have been written. And, and it depends on if it's a current writing, if it's a current writing, then um, we then I think having people on the team who can look at it and edit and see, are we being inclusive? There are documents from the past where we didn't even have this language, even though somebody might have known, well, I feel sure left out. Um, and I think a lot of people could be, could feel um wow, I'm being attacked and I didn't even know that word. I didn't know that's how or that seems strange. I have to also be compassionate, especially if they're coming from a place, if they're coming from a place of, of the, that's when I talked about intent. However, Thank if, you. if it's a Thank current, you. if it's a current document and it's a current document, that's, that's where we who are, are, are aware may want to be looking at documents and making some suggestions as, and that's why we have committees for documents. And certainly on our doctoral programs, we have supervisors, supervisors, we have on our certification program, we have supervisors and I'm not on all of them at all is, is, and, and we have committee members and chairs that look at this. And that's one of the things now, because we are a lot more aware, a lot more aware for those of us who are in this. But I think what you're talking about is also a future focus. It, I mean, now present and future is that, um, there may always be somebody who felt left out because their word was not included. That's yes. why I have to also be compassionate to them and see, can we use not one word, but can we validate the inclusiveness? And it's very difficult. I'd have to say it's very challenging. That's why I like a team of people. Well, we have to be compassionate to, let's say, my 83-year-old grandmother who doesn't, who doesn't have the intersectionality of knowing all of this mm -hmm. and who writes or presents something from a perspective of love and compassion, but doesn't know any of the terminology. And instead of jumping to the conclusion that she's ignorant or being non-inclusive, that that's her language mm -hmm. of inclusiveness. And instead of jumping to the, the conclusion that there's a problem, we need to very gently suggest hey, you probably didn't know this, but that language leaves out A, B, C, D, E. So the next time, or if you'd like to represent this, you can now, knowing better, present it better. 
or have someone or have someone. That's why I like a lot when I, I always like a team to present to. And so I have people who are, especially if it's to, for young people, I like to have the teenagers to present and see how they feel to present. How did you feel about this language? And some can get offended and, oh, my gosh. And, or but, but the interesting part is, okay, then what language would you suggest? Because you're going to be the change agents for the future. Absolutely. Yes. And, yes. And remember, these words are going to be old school. I've said it. They're going to be old school to my two-year-old grandkids as they're growing up. They're going to be using different. Um, although I, I'm compassionate for lots, but I like I like uh, teams to look at documents absolutely and uh, for inclusivity of numbers of things. And when I come back again, I'm going to bring that cultural wheel because oh boy, there is a lot of of people who would feel left out or not inclusive. We were just talking today about gender and pronouns. So, um, but there are a lot of people like, I think it was Lynn who said people were assuming um, the ethnicity or the religion of being Jewish. So a lot Mm -hmm. of people would assume that somebody, um, of course, here in South Florida, people often assume every Hispanic person is Cuban. Well, that's that's offensive to a lot of people who are not. So then what word would be a more inclusive? So if you're willing, I'll come back sometime and we can even, I call it even, stir up the pot of more more puzzle pieces to this. Absolutely. I we definitely we definitely want to have you back. This is hours and hours and then are not enough. Um before I don't know if uh I, we have I don't a few more minutes. We have we have questions. two hands raised up raised in less than fifteen minutes. So okay, okay Shannon. So if we have two hands raised, um I just wanna say a couple of things because I don't wanna I don't wanna um leave anyone uh, without a voice tonight. So again, this is Gabe, president of BPI. I just want to say two things. Before we go into the uh, last two questions of the call, one, I want to invite everyone, like Marilyn very humbly said, um, and her being the expert, <laughs> um, the real experts at the end of the day are those who, who are living actually it. live Absolutely. the experience. So on Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, we will be having another community call where we have invited um, everyone from uh, many walks of life, trans people, uh, non-binary, queer, and they will be talking to us and letting us know how they feel included and what are the pronouns that they feel um, are best suitable, are most suitable for addressing them. So before we go into those two last uh, questions, thank you so much for your patience. I just wanted, uh, Marilyn, if you could include in some of your last, um, uh, you know, remarks this, remarks this evening, tonight, because we'll definitely have you at least a couple of times more with us. Um, 
I really want to make it clear because there's a lot of confusion between sexual orientation and sexual identity. And I know that many people really are eager to figure that out where people don't understand. Sometimes they think that a transgender definitely means gay uh, or vice versa. So uh, without, without intruding in the two last questions that we have, if we have some time at the end, I would appreciate if you could just give us some clarity uh, in the difference between sexual orientation and sexual identity. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's, if you think of sexual identity as the umbrella word, the umbrella word, the large word, and then there are four parts under sexual identity. Sexual identity is the header. Let's say the header. Okay. And then there are four parts, your biology, chromosomes and hormones that shape your brain and that shape your body parts, public and private parts. Number two, your gender identity, which of course is is uh, the, the brain telling how do I identify more male, more female, neither, um, all. All right, and so there's many words. Sometimes more masculine, sometimes more feminine, which is why that gender variant. That's what we say for little children. Um, gender queer. Some people use, and so the interesting part is so we got. The header is sexual identity, the header. And underneath, there's these four parts, biology, gender identity, um, which is about how I identify my gender, gender role, number three, how I present, which is usually clothing or what I like to do activities, all right? And Mm -hmm. number four is who am I attracted to? That's yes. four. And just to say, when I see little children who are gender variant, they often come in and let's say they have a penis and say, I'm a girl. They really don't want to talk about who they're attracted to because unless they're a young person who has crushes, but usually they want to talk about what toys they want to play with, what name mm-hmm. they want to be called. So really, number four comes later, but people later in life. Yeah. Some people confuse number two and number four. I see that all the time. They confuse gender identity with orientation. Remember, sexual sexual identity is the header, the umbrella term. It's very, yes. Once you divide it up into these four, it's so much easier. And then you see if it's a person you're talking to, when you take their history, sometimes they're very clear where they are. And sometimes there's a range and sometimes mm-hmm. there's confusion and, so, and some people are not confused about orientation at all. And it's not preference. they may be confused about gender. Thank you. It's not preference. And it's, and it's very valid that those, all four of those parts are fluid. And yes. sometimes they're not fixed identities. Right. Sometimes they can be one thing for a very long time and still fluid into something else or they can be fluid from the very beginning and never have a fixed identity. And there's nothing wrong whatsoever with the fact that there's not a lane that has to be chosen. Right. Remember there's a range under all of these four. There's a range, not a boxes. There's a range that people could, um, 
be at one part of their life and then go, I was never allowed to look at this or, oh my gosh, I just discovered this. This was a person who's 50 years old that I'm talking to and said, I just never allowed myself to look at that part growing up. Okay, so we have less than 10 yeah. minutes and I would like yeah, to get okay. to the last Go ahead. Yes, please. Yes. Let's go to the question. All right. So I'm going to start. Thank you so much for your patience. Debbie G, you are allowed to, you should have something on your screen asking you to unmute. Hi, Debbie G. Oh, um, this Debbie, and I do have a question. I, I just want to say, Marilyn, that I was the person who inadvertently, with no ill intent to anyone, wrote the document that caused this meeting. Mm -hmm. And it made it a little bit sullied, but I have to say that I am very happy for the good that it has thus done. I do want to say that I had put the document out as publicity, but it was meant to be spoken, not written. And the podcast was designed, this little introductory statement that caused all of the issue, it was designed to be as though a parent of a child who is blind is sitting across the table from a teacher of the visually impaired and just talking things out and getting ideas and resources. So my goal certainly was not to be... Um, not inclusive of everyone, but I wanted it to be kind of warm. And it, it just, it, I put he, she in there and that sounded awful and they sounded impersonal. So I guess what I'm bringing all this up to say, not to defend myself, but to say that people, this is a very tricky way and it is the right way, but it's so uncertain. And I kind of feel like I'm trying to walk on jello. So my question beyond this, this comment is because we are blind and this is the American council blind and blind, blind pride international. When we meet people, there are a lot of cues and clues that we are going to miss body language outfit, you know, all the things uh, we had a whole seminar once on all the things that happen between two people before they ever say the first word, things that are known eye contact, permission to speak, permission to come into the space. So I would very much like to have you talk to those of us who want to do the right thing, but we kind of feel like we're standing in jello to try to help us figure out when we can't see these people, we can't read the body language, what can we do that is not offensive and that we can talk to people without being terrified that we are going to be smashed down because we inadvertently made a mistake when it was not our intent. Oh, Debbie, I that's what tonight is about, Debbie. I Absolutely. appreciate your honesty. I so, but look what you started, Debbie. Look what the great educational thing is that people can become aware of that. I mean, you're you are like a leader here, and a lot of times this happens when an event. I call it a marker event. And when it happens and people begin to go, we have to talk about this a lot of times. And I think, first of all, I think that's a great topic all for one session is what happens even when a sighted person, which I can absolutely appreciate what you were saying, could miss things um, by, let's say, a child that has long hair and somebody thinks that child is a girl and they happen to be a boy with long hair or a man bun or something like that. 
which is completely missed by somebody who's blind. Absolutely. It also can be completely missed. But I get what you're saying. And that could be a really important part. When I, when I talk to parents or with a teacher, I like to use words like um, things like, ah, tell me about what your child is saying. I don't say he or she because I honestly don't know. All right. Because usually people come and talk to me and it's something about sexuality or gender. I, that's the only thing that I do. So the interesting part is I'll use words like, um, you know, I, I want to know what your child is saying. Tell me what your child or your teenager. So I avoid that um, just because I've seen the range of fluidity or they're not ready to say yet. They want to see, can they trust me? So they look at what words I say. Um, and I'm sure, thank you for your honesty, because it, it is not a lot of people's intent at all. And yet, look what you did. You spawned a whole education experience. And it's not about me. It's about, oh, my gosh, people's willingness. And I'm only a part of it. And so I want you to listen to the real experts. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Okay. And the last person I'm going to call on because we have uh, three minutes left and I would like to eat some actual dinner <laughs> uh, is going to be... Um, you want a quickie. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. So Penny, what can we do in, in three minutes? You are allowed to talk. Hi, Penny. Hi, Hi I'm Penny. And... Um, Marilyn, thank you so much, and, and Gabe, and Anthony, and all of you. This has been an excellent presentation. I just wanted to say, um, well, first of all, I really like the way you talked about compassion, and I really do think it's about intent. But I also want to say this, this is kind of a, a nexus of two topics, and one is um, understanding the range of genders that people have and understanding that we want to be an inclusive organization that doesn't leave anybody out. And many of us as blind people have felt left out. I can still remember in first grade when somebody told me I was cross-eyed in a pretty mm -hmm. gray way that I felt pretty, pretty left out. Um, and we don't want anybody to, to feel left out. Uh, but also there are times when we are addressing a group of people or right, addressing a person that we don't know anything about. Uh, where we're going to need to use pronouns which are inclusive. And they and them are pronouns that are inclusive and they're very acceptable. I think to people who have never heard them used in that way before, they feel kind of stilted. And I think for some people, that's why they uh, they don't do it right away. They, they resist it for a long time. I remember mm -hmm. when I first read it in the New York Times Style Guide, I resisted it for a little while before I started thinking about it. And the last thing I want to say is this is also about um, how we present ourselves. And we do have a committee like the committee Marilyn discussed. We're not a dissertation committee, but we do have a board of publications. And I do think that our board of publications would be right on the mark if we were to um, think about this when we write our policy manual and encourage our members to include everybody in the written and oral and podcasting and 
every other communication that we're going to do. I really appreciate this uh, call. I think, Marilyn, you're such a wonderful person. I wish I lived next door to you so I could get to know you better. And uh, <laughs> um, I guess that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Thank I, noticed, you, Penny. I noticed something, Penny. You exactly said you actually used it. You used the word they and them without he or she. You actually did. And once you begin to say it, it becomes more comfortable. And yes. it is with great compassion that I just, uh, I'm, I'm so admire all of you. Yay, you. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. <laughs> thank you, Marilyn. Marilyn. I am it's- sure that there are many listeners who would like to thank you or would like to reach out and let you know how much they appreciate it tonight. Or maybe even ask you a question. Where can they reach you if they'd like to send you oh, a note? Absolutely. At my, at my um, Gmail. It's very easy. Be safe. I've told people to be safe for years. Be safe <laughs> with my initials, MV for Marilyn Volker. Be safe, MV at gmail.com. And I want to thank you both. And I want to thank Deb and Paul, the people from way past who've helped. Um, <laughs> you all have done so well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank we you. will have you Very back. Honored, and thank you, ACB, thank for you. opening your hearts and your minds for this amazing messaging and this amazing conversation and we will have Marilyn back join us on Saturday to hear the voices behind the pronouns yay. thank you so much yay, yay, thank yay. You. bye bye yay. everybody be safe bye everyone bye, bye everyone thank you bye bye